thinking of, as they were singing that God took away my yesterdays, um, Ray Bolt's in a, in a song that's a little more contemporary for my taste, but he, he said, um, God gave me back my tomorrows. I had thrown tomorrow away. And uh, I thought that just coincided so much with what, what they were singing about our yesterdays were the bad and the, and the ugly and so forth, and God took those away, doesn't count them against us anymore. But God gave us back our tomorrows. And the, our choices that we'd made had, had uh, left, us, left us in quite a mess and didn't give us much hope for a future. But there's always a future in Christ, and certainly maybe not tomorrow on earth, but tomorrow with Him. Amen. We always have a tomorrow when we are in Christ. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to uh, the book of Revelations, chapter 5. Book of Revelations, chapter 5. The book of Revelations is one of those books that, that has a... I don't know, makes a lot of people nervous, I think. Not sure how to, how to understand it and interpret it, and people get into fusses and feuds over it. And, uh, and yet, I think that uh, one of the best things I ever heard on the book of Revelations came from my theology professor, Brother uh, Tim Cooley. And uh, he said, said to us, he said, the the key to the book of Revelations is on the door. It's on the door. He said it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And if we'll, uh, if we'll look for Christ in Revelations, we'll be all right. And uh, that's certainly what we tr uh, endeavor to do this, this morning as we look at a scene in, in heaven that, if we weren't familiar with it, I think would take us off guard. So I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read the entirety of the chapter, and so if, if you have trouble standing, uh, it's quite all right if you remain seated. But um, I want us to get the whole picture of this event, and uh, really it's, um, this, is, this is the hinge point where we go from talking to the churches, and, and now we start getting into some of the future uh, events but this is the hinge point of, of where, that, where that takes place. And so, Revelation chapter 5, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, there stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. 
And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousands and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen, and the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Father, what a beautiful picture. What a sight it must have been for John to witness that. Even in our imagination, we cannot even grasp probably even a a small percentage of what John saw. But help us this, this morning as we try to rightly divide the word of truth. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to the scriptures. And Lord, may you be glorified and honored because of it. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. What a, what a strange thing to have happen in heaven. A man weeping. We often say and we often sing about how there will be no tears in heaven. That God will wipe away every tear. And I don't know if that is going to be an event. Some believe that that is going to be a, an event that happens after the, the separation of the sheep and the goats, and the sorrow as, we, as our loved ones who haven't made it go to the, uh, are separated from us, and, and how God will have to wipe every tear. I, I'm not sure, but, but what we do know is in this particular time in heaven, and that's a weird thing to say about eternity, <laughs> but here is John weeping. It doesn't seem to fit, does it? It doesn't seem to make sense that in paradise, in the place of perfection, in the place of holiness, in the place of of the very presence of Almighty God. In fact, John is there in the throne room. He can see God who's sitting on the throne. He is that close to the action, and he's weeping. What, what would bring about this? What would, why would John cry here in the throne room? 
and the holiest place in the universe, what would cause John to cry? Simply a book that cannot be read. Some of you can't imagine that. You hate books. <laughs> you never met a book that you like to read. And I'm sure some of our teachers have a few students that are just like that. They'd, if you made them read it, they'd probably weep. This, is a, this isn't a book like you would think, not like our Bibles with, a, with front cover and back cover and pages in between. It's, it's a scroll that, that opens top to bottom and, and there's handles that, and it rolls up as you read it. But God himself is sitting on the throne and he's holding it. It's written not just on the inside, but it's written on the, on the inside and on the outside. And it's sealed with seven seals. And John doesn't know the contents of that book. I believe that he had an understanding that it was the future of mankind. I, under, I, I believe that, it was, that he had an understanding that, that this book contained what God's plan was for humanity. And for there to be an opportunity to know the future of humanity, to know the future for his people that he loved, the people that he had discipled and the people he had shepherded. Remember how many times in, in his letters he wrote, uh, my little children. And he knows that there's something important that his children need to hear, the people that he loves, the people that he's pastored, the people that he cares about. He knows that they need to know what's behind those seals. And the strong angel... A mighty warrior angel proclaims who's worthy. I wish sometimes that, that we could have the ability to read our, these scriptures as if it were the first time. We, it ruins the suspense because we know the answer. But imagine with me just for a moment what John was going through as he's standing there and, and the angel says, who's worthy to open the scroll? And John knows it has to, that it has to be opened. He knows that the, the truth of it has to be known. And so a search is conducted. Where would you find such an individual that would be worthy to open the scroll? And so they searched through heaven. They went through the angels. Certainly angels are, are, are holy. Certainly they are the, the first of, of creation. And certainly they would be, there would be one, perhaps mighty Michael or perhaps Gabriel. Who, who, I mean, they've had such lofty positions before. I mean, the opportunity to, to tell Mary that she's going to have a son, what an honor but this honor is greater than that. And they search, and not one angel, not one archangel, none are worthy in all of heaven to open the scroll. 
So they go down to earth. That makes, that makes sense. We'll go down to earth. There's, a, there's the saints of God that are there. there God is uh, those that have been redeemed. Those that, uh, perhaps there's some apostle or some disciple of an apostle. Maybe there's someone there who's, who could open the scroll. Someone who's worthy. And they search, and, and I don't know which apostles were, were uh, probably by this point all the apostles have passed on, or most of them have, all of the other disciples have passed on. Paul has probably been executed, but there's, there's still some great, great men who, and great women of God who are still uh, spreading the gospel. There's, there's uh, those that are doing their best to, to proclaim the truth, and they search, and none are worthy. Not one is worthy. Now what do they do? Let's, let's go under the earth. Let's go, let's go to the land of the dead. Certainly we can find someone from history, someone that has passed on, some, someone from the land of the dead must be worthy. And so they, they go through and, and Abraham, and Abraham's not worthy. Well, what about uh, Jacob? Uh, his name was changed to Israel. He's, that's what God's uh, country is named after, and Jacob's not worthy. Well, what about that great uh, emancipator, Moses? Moses certainly has to be worthy. Moses, and uh, I mean, look at all, all the miracles that God wrought with his hand, and Moses isn't worthy. And not Joshua. And not... King David, the great king, greatest king of Israel, he's not worthy. And, and Jeremiah and Isaiah and, and Daniel, they're not worthy. And they searched all the way through the land of the dead. And there's none worthy to open the scroll. Wow. It's cause for weeping. Because there's an unknown future. There's, an, there's, there's, a, there's a, a, a great, great, terrible thing up ahead for humanity. And without the knowledge of it, there can be no preparation. One of the things that we value around here is those that have the ability to predict storms, especially tornadoes. And the warning comes, and shelter is sought, and lives are saved. And John knows that behind those seven seals is the warning for humanity that they desperately need so that they can seek shelter so they might be saved. But there's none worthy in heaven or on earth or under the earth who's worthy to open the scrolls and to give mankind the warnings that they desperately need. And he weeps in the throne room of God, standing there before the throne of the Almighty himself. He weeps, for there is none worthy. I don't, I don't know exactly what he was doing, but, I, uh, but he, uh, it seems that he, that he hid his face in his hands 
And he's weeping and crying. And, and finally, one of the elders comes and says, John, now listen. You don't need to cry. Look up, for there is the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David. There's someone worthy. John, look up. And from his hands, he, he looks up and, and through his, the tears and trying to see. And he's expecting the great lion, the great king of the jungle, and all of his majesty. Because that's what he was told he would find. But instead, he sees the Lamb of God. And he is worthy. In fact, he's so worthy that he walks straight up to God the Father and he takes the book right out of his hands. Wow. You don't take things from the hand of the king, the great king. But he does, for he is worthy. As I read this passage, I wondered, what made him worthy? What made Jesus worthy when no one else was? As I begin to look at the passage, I, I realize that, that the secrets are hidden here, right before our eyes. The first attribute of Christ that makes him worthy is his sovereignty. See, he's... He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the, he is the root of David. These are, are titles that belong to Christ that signify his kingship. You remember clear back in Genesis, I think chapter 49, and Jacob is giving his last uh, uh, words and prophesying over each of his children. And Judah comes up and he says to Judah that from him the scepter would never leave. It was the first prophecy that the great king would come from Judah. And Jesus is of the tribe of Judah. And then he goes on, he is the root of David. And do you remember God's promise to David? He said that your seed would never lack to sit upon the throne. You see, it was important it was important not only for Jesus to be born to the tribe of Judah, but he had to be born of the lineage of David. The root is, it means descendant here. He is the descendant of David. And what, what the elder is saying to John is, John, look up for the king of kings is here. The Lord of lords is here and he is sovereign but I want you to know that there are a lot of kings on earth. I think you know that. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people that, that are in control and, and have lordship. I understand that, that, uh, that uh, I believe it's Japan, is, is about ready to have a, a change of, of kingship. It won't be long in, until England will probably very shortly, very shortly, be crowning a new king. There's lots of kings. 
Saudi Arabia, and so on and so forth. Lots of kings. And if we go through history, if we would go ourselves through the land of the dead, there's lots of kings. But Jesus isn't just Lord of earth, but he is also king of heaven. And that's what sets him apart. His sovereignty. He rules. And he's in control. You remember that Jesus, he's standing there before Pilate. And Pilate says to Jesus, he says, Don't you know that I have power over you? I can, I can let you go or I can have you crucified. Don't you understand my power? And Jesus looks up. I don't know if he grinned, but I kind of would if I were if I'd have been Jesus in that moment. And Jesus said, you wouldn't have any power over me except it had been given to you. What's Jesus saying? He says, when I look the most vulnerable, when I look the weakest, when I look like I am in the palm of a man's hand, I want you to know that he that man, that woman that would try to have power and control over me, I want you to know that he doesn't have one speck of power that wasn't given to him first. Satan thought he could rule heaven and earth, but he couldn't. Throughout history, pharaohs and, uh, stood up and said that they were the son of a god, that their right to the throne was because they were gods but they were neither gods and not king over heaven. And they would pass on and a new pharaoh would take their place. But our king rules forever and ever and ever. He's sovereign this morning. And I know it seems that so often times that, that Congress and the Supreme Court and our presidents uh, have gone against what, what seems to be the will of God. And, and certainly there's, there's other nations where their leaders is, are even in worse shape morally than, than our nation. But I, I want to reiterate to you this morning that he is the Lord of heaven and earth. And not one person has power that he didn't give them in the first place. And the power that we have over our lives and over our homes and, and over our families and the influence we have with our, our, in our church and, and in our, uh, with our friends and in our place of employment, we must remember that we have the power, the influence that we have has been given to us by Almighty God Himself. He alone is sovereign. And we answer to Him. And so that's why the angels weren't worthy because they weren't kings of heaven or earth. It's why the, the kings of the earth aren't worthy is because they weren't kings over heaven. It's why in the land of, of the dead, all throughout history, there's never been one who's been king over heaven and earth. None have the sovereignty of Christ. And so this morning, I, I stand before you knowing that he is worthy because of his sovereignty. No one has the sovereignty that Christ has. No one. Not only does, uh, is he worthy because of his sovereignty, 
but he is worthy because of his sinlessness. What did the elders say? Says that he has prevailed. He has prevailed. You remember in Hebrews chapter 4, I believe it's verse 8, it said that he was tempted in like manner at all points, like we were, yet without sin. What an amazing testimony for Christ. You see, uh, he, he, would, he would go into the wilderness and he would be tempted of the devil in his hunger and in his weakness, and yet he prevailed. He would go into the temple, he'd go into Jerusalem, and he would be rejected and despised by those that he came to seek and to save. The very people that he loved, his very own, rejected him. And, and do you know rejection breeds bitterness and resentment? But resentment and bitterness could find no resting place in the heart of our great God. He went to the garden and he began to pray. And he's asking the Father if it be possible for this cup to pass from him. He could have refused to go to the cross. But he wouldn't refuse. He submitted the will of the Father. And as he's hanging there on the cross, writhing in agony and pain, sitting there on the edge of heaven, are ten legions of angels waiting for his command. You talk about temptation. Talk about temptation. What did Satan say to God? He says, God, a man will give up, a, a, he'll lose everything, but, but you let me touch him. Let me touch him. Joe will give in because once you, uh, when you touch a person, when you touch them, that's when that really shows what they're made of. And yet he prevailed even on the cross. You can go to the angels of he in heaven. And yes, they're sinless, but they weren't tempted like we are tempted. They didn't face the temptations that we faced. And so they weren't worthy. And you can go on earth and you can go under the earth and you can't find one man or one woman who is able to live above sin. Enoch wasn't able to do it even though he walked so close to God that, that he was translated. Moses wasn't able to do it, even though he led the children of Israel out of Egypt. David wasn't able to do it. Daniel wasn't able to do it. John Wesley wasn't able to do it. And you and I weren't able to do it either. Klein sang for us that God took away our tomorrows because every one, our yesterdays because every one of us had a yesterday. Every one of us have things that are hidden there and buried in God's sea of forgetfulness, and yet, and yet, 
we don't face it anymore. But it's, but God didn't cause us to forget where we came from. And we're not worthy. You and I aren't worthy to open the scroll because we didn't prevail. And if we prevail today, it's only because of His grace and His power, not because of ours. And so we, we weren't worthy, but He is because of His sinlessness. He's worthy because He's sovereign. He's worthy because of His sinlessness. But, but we see also that John, as he's looking there, looking for the lion, he sees a lamb as though it were slain. He's worthy because of his sacrifice. You can go back to the book of Exodus, and I believe it's chapter 12 that you'll read there where the Passover was coming, the very first one. And the family would go on out and got a lamb or a kid. They were allowed to take it from either the the, of the sheep or the goats, but they'd bring it into their home. They brought it in on day 10 of the month and they kept it in their home for three days. Jewish scholars tell us that they tied the lamb to the bedpost as they nourished it. It became as though it were a pet. Three days in the home. And on the fourth day, they slew it, put the blood upon the post of the door and they ate the lamb and they didn't know what they were doing they were just following the instructions and yet this morning as we look we see the lamb of god and he still bears the marks of his sacrifice he came and he walked among us for three years. And instead of us nourishing him, he nourished us. I think it's important that John said that this lamb was though it had been slain. You know, there's not going to be any room for boasting in heaven. None of us are going to brag about how we got there. None of us are going to be able to boast about our good works and our good deeds. No one, none of us are going to be able to, to boast about our righteousness and, and, and how wonderful we were and, and how much we deserve heaven. This is why I don't believe the other religions are equal to ours. Because all the other religions require your good deeds that way you're bad. You can boast your way into heaven. And all the other faiths. But in Christ, you can be the vile thief uh, hanging there on a cross and never had a good deed in your life. And you can, in the last moment, ask to be remembered and make it into glory. (laughs) 
And you can be a person who's, who was saved at a small age, three, four years old, and, and can't ever remember any terrible sins that you ever committed. All those are forgotten by time. What a wonderful testimony that would be. And yet, you have no room to boast either. Because all your good deeds and all the things that you would do were done in service of the one who saved you. You weren't saved because of him. He was the one who was sacrificed. I don't know. Many scholars believe, and I think it's likely, that for all of eternity, Christ will bear the marks of the cross as a reminder to us that he is the reason that we're there and not because we deserve it. You know, there's a many who've, who could have, we could go through and, and throughout history who gave their lives for the cause of Christ, but none of them died for our salvation. It's why none of the angels were worthy. It's why none on earth were worthy. It's why none under the earth were worthy. None sacrificed themselves. None were counted a worthy enough sacrifice to be able to redeem our souls. He's worthy this morning because he was the sacrifice for our sins and our uncleanness. John saw a lamb as though it were slain. And the elders began to sing. And they began to sing, Worthy is the Lamb of God. You ask me if he's worthy this morning, I will tell you not only is he worthy because of his sovereignty and because of his sinlessness and because of his sacrifice, but I will tell you he's worthy because of his success. It says that every nation, every tongue, every tribe, every people will be represented that day. He didn't just sacrifice himself and to no avail, but every people group will have representation in that day. The things that separate us on earth, the things that, that cause us to value one person over another will not matter in, those de- in that day. Skin color isn't going to matter. Intellect and IQ isn't going to matter. Maturity and immaturity isn't going to matter in that day. Our abilities or inabilities aren't going to matter in that day. The things that separate us, the tall and the short, the thin and the not so thin. All of the things that we use to to separate us and these are my people and those are your people. Denominational lines and theological lines and, and all these lines that we put to make them and us aren't it gonna be there. On that day there'll be no lines. For he has been successful in winning people from every corner of the earth.
In the book, The Open Door, the author relays a story of a church that had, had a, they were building a new church. They were build, the congregation was building a new church, a new sanctuary. And the centerpiece of the church was supposed to be a stained glass window that depicted children gathered around Jesus worshiping him. They commissioned an artist to do it. And so the, the artist worked and worked and worked and created a beautiful picture, a beautiful stained glass window that would be the focal point of the sanctuary. And the artist went to bed after completing it, exhausted and weary. And the artist claims that in a dream, he heard someone there in his workshop making a racket. He made his way into the, to the workshop, and there he found a, a man that was there in the darkness, and he, was, he had the paints, and he's painting on his stained glass window, his masterpiece that he had prepared for the congregation, and, and he said, stop, you'll ruin it. And the man said, you've already ruined it, for you've painted the children all in one color. Don't we do just that? Maybe not in our, in our art, but you know, it amazes me how, how we can be so focused on people just like us. And if they look different, or they believe different, or they think different, we just don't include them the way we, that Jesus includes them. Jesus, Jesus is going to take every barrier that we've built and he's going to tear it down. And we're going to stand in that day worshiping him and declaring him worthy because he was so successful in redeeming every people. There won't be a language left out. There won't be a tribe left out. Every voice... In one voice, it's going to say, Worthy is the Lamb of God. We live in a time when the worthiness of Christ is questioned. In fact, they say all religions will get us to the same place. Jesus isn't any more worthy than Buddha or Muhammad or any of these others but none of them have the sovereignty of Christ. None of them have the sinlessness of Christ. None of them, none of them were slain for us. And none of them have the success of our Lord. I want you to know this morning, He is worthy of all of our worship and all of our praise. And folks, I want to be in good practice here on earth so that when I get there, I don't have, I don't have any rust to shake off, that I am well practiced in the art of worshiping He who is worthy. Amen. Let's stand together. Amen. Amen. Jimmy, dismiss us in prayer, please.